fall on my knees with my face to the rising sun. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. Welcome to The Bible Speaks with Audley McLean. The Bible Speaks is a weekly ministry of Harvest International. Our prayer is that the Bible Speaks will encourage you in your study of God's Word. You will be able to contact Audley at the address given at the end of this broadcast. And now, here's Audley. Please join me in prayer. Father, may the moments we spend together today around your Word produce fruit in our lives. Glorify yourself. Lord, we pray for people listening today who have a special, immediate urgent need. Lord, touch that person. In Jesus' name, amen. People visit grave sites for all sorts of reasons. Grave sites from those of paupers to those of potentates all have an attraction for visitors. From the Valley of Kings in Egypt to the Perlochet in France. I remember as a boy hearing about the poorhouse cemetery in Kingston, Jamaica, where I was born and raised. Many of the gravesides hold the earthly remains of the revered deceits, like King Tut's tomb in Egypt, or those of the countless human gravesites in our world today. But I'd like to lead you in a virtual visit to another gravesite. Those gravesites that I've mentioned, most of them have the bodies of the deceased. This one has no occupant. It's empty. Over 2,000 years ago, Earth's most distinguished resident was buried there. His name is Jesus. Two weeks ago, we celebrated the Easter holidays and believers rejoiced in the wonder and the glory of the resurrection. Today, we revisit the scene of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. You see, Resurrection Sunday, or Easter as we have come to label it, is not just a date on a calendar or a ceremony to fit our liturgy. It is a celebration of a fact of history. It is the account of the fulfillment of prophecy. It is the declaration that Almighty God is satisfied with the sacrifice that Jesus made on behalf of you and me. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down. The Bible makes it clear that Jesus didn't come to die accidentally. He came to die on purpose for the reason of our sins being forgiven. Nothing I'll say today is more important than that. And I invite you to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In Romans chapter 10, it, it says this, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the, mouth, with the heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Friend, Jesus didn't die because he committed some crime. He didn't die as a martyr. He didn't die as a result of an accident 
all he suffered and all that happened at his resurrection was in fulfillment of prophetic utterances from long, long ago and of his own statements. Isaiah the prophet wrote concerning the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, and so on. He was wounded for our transgression, my friend. It is the spirit of the living God who is pulling at your heart right now and inviting you to yield your life to the Savior who lived and died and rose again. So now, join us as we go back to the tomb, the tomb where Jesus was laid. We will do so by following the account in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. And I invite you to read the chapter when we're done or to read it along with us as we go through the stages of eight movements, as I call them, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. Now, it may be that we won't be able to cover all eight, but I'll read them to you now and we'll see how far time permits us to go. One, we have the period the first day of the week. The people, and we'll talk about them later. The place, the sepulchre, the tomb. Their preparation, the woman came with spices. Their perplexity, why are you seeking the living among the dead? The angel asked them. The probe, why, where is he? The proclamation, he's not here, he's risen. The publication, they went back and told the things that they'd seen and heard. And each of those eight Ps have an application in my life and in your life. First, we look at the period, the first day of the week. Now, upon the first day of the week is what it says in Luke 24, verse 1, the first day of the week. Let's contemplate that phrase. Let's isolate it just for a moment. The first day of the week, that phrase sets the tone for a lot that happens in the practice of the family of believers called the Church of Jesus Christ. Countless arguments and theological debates have arisen around the reason that non-Jewish Christians make the first day of the week Sunday, the day we set aside for corporate worship. Many Jewish Christians, by the way, still meet on the Sabbath day, the Saturday, in our our calendar. Now, let me say, there is no biblical command or direction that requires followers of Jesus Christ to set a Sunday aside, the Lord's Day, as we have come to call it. What we do find in the Bible is that there is precedent for this practice. As early as the first century of the church, Acts 20, verse 7 says this, Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. So the first day of the week was recognized by the very early church as a time when the disciples 
came together, it says, for the breaking of bread. Not just to have a meal, but to remember the Lord Jesus, the one who said, do this in remembrance of me. Taking the bread and taking the wine, the fruit of the vine, representing the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. And notice that these early believers did that every Lord's Day, every first day of the week. Much of the church has drifted away from that. There are a few gatherings who still do that. Among the Plymouth Brethren, where I was saved, it's still a guarded practice, and I love it. I think it's wonderful. Others, the church that I'm now in fellowship with, do it once a month, and I wish it were more frequently. The Lord encourages us, the Lord instructs us to do it, and as often as we do it, to remember what it's all about. There's another verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and there Paul writes to them, he says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. So it was recognized that they were meeting on the first day of the week. So you should be comfortable with it, my friend. Of course, you could have a debate about the whys and the wherefores of the transition, but for now, I'm happy for us to just continue as I have been for the past 70-odd years in my Christian life. Unfortunately, I admit, a big change has come about in the behavior of Christians as it affects the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. It had been for a long time that true believers would set that day apart as different and sought to honor the Lord and dedicate Sunday to just the things of God. Not so much today. Perhaps it's time for us to have a, a gut check, or may I say, a commitment check, a rededication check. So let's move on to point number two. We've talked about the place, or rather the period, first day of the week. Now the people, and they're identified for us in the same chapter of Luke 24. In verse 10, we read that it was Mary Magdalene, and Johanna, and Mary the mother of James, and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. Perhaps we can find ourselves in that picture. Let's draw near to them and join them as they come to seek Jesus, as we see them at the tomb. And I want us to remember and never forget that it was the women that brought the message to the apostles. Think about that. Number three, the place. Would you go along with me as we ask ourselves whether they were at the right place? There is a pause in which we need to remember that they didn't expect to find what they did. They found an empty tomb. The famous tombs we referred to contained the bodies of the departed, but not this tomb, as this tomb is empty, and the disciples are about to discover that. So, my friend, Jesus is alive. That's the reason we have hope. If he is not alive, our hope is dead. Thank God, he says, because I live, you will live also. Then they had a preparation. That makes the supply with which they came useless because he wasn't there. Jesus didn't require earthly spices to pervert, preserve his, him. 
In his gloriously resurrected body, he exercised his divinity. A new body, such as you and I will have one day. Oh, my friends, what he wants from us is a sacrifice of our lives. The Romans 12, one kind. The Hebrews 12, one kind. Where we give to him everything and leave behind those things that will hold us back in our march forward with the Lord Jesus. Please read those verses at your convenience. And then comes the perplexity. They found the stone rolled away. They found the stone rolled away. It was rolled away to let Jesus out. Jesus came out and they rolled it away to prove that he was not there. My friend, if you are walking by faith with Jesus, you too will demonstrate that he is not, he's not there. We're not living in the grave clothes age. We're living in the resurrection age. Then the perplexity. They found the stone rolled away. Then the probe. Why seek the living among the dead? And that's a good question for you to ask and for me to ask. Oh, let's walk in newness of life, risen with Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you. Let's enjoy this, read the passage, and let it fill our lives. For Jesus' sake. Amen. I've wandered far away from God. This program is cared for by listeners who care. Your prayers and financial investment in this ministry helps to keep the good news on the air. We look forward to hearing from you and invite you to write us at Harvest International. Post Office Box 6690, Ocala, Florida, 34478. Again, that's Harvest International, Post Office Box 6690, Ocala, Florida, 34478.